The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter." so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Well, as I mentioned, we've been talking about this series called Generosity, if you're just coming in. Um, we've been saying this about generosity, that to be truly generous is more than money. We've said that for a couple weeks now. Generosity is much more than money. Uh, but it is not less than money. When you're truly generous, you're generous all over. You're generous in all areas of the life. You're, you're generous, you're biblically generous all over. It's possible, we've said, to be generous uh, with your giving, generous with your possessions, and yet be very stingy in your heart and have a very closed heart. It's possible, likewise, to be uh, very generous relationally and yet to be very stingy with your money. There is more than one kind of currency to generosity. More, more than one currency with which to be generous. And turns out today, we're talking about the most common one. We talk about money, we talk about wealth. And so if, you're, if this is your first time, you saw the bulletin, you're like, I knew it, I knew I shouldn't have come to church today, they're talking about money. Well, you should have come the last two weeks when we didn't talk about money. <laughs> and here, I, I really wanna get off the table first, just uh, my aim in this, in this time together as we work through this passage, my aim in this sermon, um, my aim is not to shame you, I promise it's not to humiliate you. My, my aim is not to embarrass you, to make you feel uh, awkward or squeamish or uh, like all eyes are on you. My, my aim in this sermon is not to call you out. I don't want you to, you to feel singled or an outsider, like you somehow you don't belong to this community if you don't follow in what the things we're about to talk about. However, I do recognize that even through this sermon, you may feel shame you may feel embarrassed. You may feel called out personally. And I want God, as we come to his passage like we do every week, to 
Let him do his work in your heart. Let him do his work in your life. And bring all of these things, all your thoughts and all your feelings as you come to this passage and, and say, God, what would you have me think and feel and, be, and believe and do in response to, to, to this passage today? And so this isn't a, so much of a family talk between me kind of uh, telling you what to do, but rather us coming before God and, and, and listening to him humbly with open hearts and open minds. And I want you to consider our first week of our generosity series. We talked about generosity was, uh, it was a heart issue, how the root of real generosity has to do with a heart. It's not just about what you do and what you give and how much you give, or, because you can be very generous financially and yet be very stingy and far from God in your heart. And I hope that as we saw that two weeks ago, and we said no one is deserving of God's grace. And so it's because of an abundance of God's grace to us in our life that we are now abundantly generous and gracious to others. That you left that sermon and you left feeling, God, that's right. I, I want to be generous in my heart, not just with my hands. I want to receive your grace in my life and let that be a motivation for all that I do. And then last week we talked about generosity and relationships. And I hope that as you left last week, as we said that, that we need to be generous relationally with others, opening our lives to others, because God has, has been relationally generous to us, that you left that sermon saying, God, he's right, I really need to be relationally generous. I need to grow in this area of being relationally generous. And I hope that in this week, as we come to this passage, you will say, Lord, I confess that I am ungenerous with my wealth. Help me to make adjustments in my life to be generous with my wealth. Do you see how that happens? It is not just in this passage that we say, okay, guys, now act on this. It's in all areas of Scripture. We come to God's Word and say, change us. Make us more like you. Help us to live our lives out of an overflow of all your love for us. And so my aim is to know God's Word and to, for His love uh, to, to be shown to you and communicated to you through His Word and for all of us to respond obediently and cheerfully, trusting in His Word as good and, and right and, and just for our joy. And that's why we do it. And so this passage is going to tell us a few things about generosity. It's going to tell us that uh, generosity is a, it can be a thermometer for our spiritual health. We're going to see that, it can be a, that it's an unparalleled privilege that we have in our life to be generous with our wealth. And lastly, that it's an instrument for <coughs> eternal harvest and all these very exciting things. And so let's jump in. Let's talk about generosity as, as, an, as a thermometer for our spiritual health. You see in the first six verses that Paul is talking about this Corinthian church and the people a part of this church. He's commending them for their spiritual health. He's saying, you've received the gospel. The gospel has changed your lives and, and you're growing spiritually. And I'm so excited about that. And he's bragging to all of his other, his pastor friends, right? This is what pastors do. They brag about their, their congregations. Uh, I've got the best church in town. And we all, we all know that. We, we brag about it. Look at how they're growing. I mean, they're magnifying God's glory and living as God's people and engaging in God's mission, right? Does that sound familiar? That's our vision statement, if anyone knows that. Um, what a great church. What are the best? And so if people, you know, his pastor friends are saying, Paul, how's your church plant in Corinth going? He's saying, these people, these people are so great. These people are, they've been changed by the gospel. Their hearts are, are changed by the grace of God. And they are growing in all areas. And then Paul quickly gets on the phone, so to speak, and says, hey, Corinthian church, I just said some things about you guys. Don't embarrass me because my friends are now coming to you. Don't embarrass me. And what does he mean? What is he saying? He's saying, make sure you're generous with your money when they come to you. I just got done talking about how godly you are. 
what would humiliate Paul if it turns out that they are stingy with their money? I just got done bragging how the gospel has changed your life. Don't humiliate me by being stingy with your money. He sees these things connected, so importantly connected. Sorry, important. I don't think that's a word. But it's so, it's connected, so intrinsically connected. He says, I'm sending ministers of the gospel your way. Set aside some money. If I come to you, he says in verse 4, if I come to you, and find that you're not ready, we'd be humiliated. Say nothing of you for being so confident. We're so confident in the way that the gospel has changed your life. Because I'm glad that these are not my words, but I'm glad that they're God's words, because I can stand on the confidence of God's word, and not just my opinion, that he is saying that our financial generosity is a thermometer of our spiritual health. It's not the only thermometer, of course. It is not the end-all, be-all of our spiritual health, but it is a thermometer of our spiritual health, and it's an important indicator of genuine gospel change in the life of a person. It's an important measurement. It's a mark of authentic Christianity. Paul is saying, in other words, that confessing Christ and being ungenerous with your wealth is a compromising existence. It's a humiliating existence to confess Christ so boldly and to say that the gospel has changed you and you belong to him, and yet to be stingy with your money. And that's why it's important for us to talk about money. That's primarily why it's important to talk about money, because it, it matters. Consider a doctor's visit. If you guys go to the doctor, supposedly you're supposed to go to the doctor once a year. Just Even if you're not sick, you're supposed to go and get a physical. They check your blood, right? They check your reflexes. They, they tap your knees. You're supposed to do that. I'm about four years late to my last, my yearly, my yearly physical. But... He's going to sit down, the doctor's going to sit down with a clipboard, they're going to take some breathing tests on your, you know, your chest and your, and your back, and they're going to check kind of the outside and all these things, and then he's going to, he or she's going to sit down with a clipboard and just ask you a bunch of questions, say, so, so tell me, do you, do you smoke, and how often do you smoke? How many alcoholic drinks do you have a week? How many hours of sleep do you get per night? Is there anything in your job or marriage that is particularly stressful to you right now? Are you experiencing any stress in, in your marriage or anything like that? When was your last bowel movement? What color was it? And you might say, hey, wait a minute. You might reply, come on, wait a minute. I mean, this, these, why are you asking these questions? This is, my, this is my personal life. Back off. This is my personal life. Just, just tell me, how am I doing? Am I well? Am I okay? And, and your doctor is going to say, I'm sorry. All these things are connected. They're all connected. Everything is connected. You came to me to discern your spiritual health, and I need to get in, and I need to I need to ask these questions, and you need to tell me what's really going on. I need to get into all of these areas because it's all connected. Your spiritual health is not, likewise, your spiritual health is not just compartmentalized in different areas. If you go to your doctor and say, my, my nails are falling off. Why are you asking me about my diet? Just, just help me with my nails. My hair, my hair is, is, is brittle and breaking. My, my, my skin, my, my eyes are going bad. My, my, my breath smells. The doctor is going to dig further because it's all connected and likewise in our spiritual life we Jesus des desires to to tear down all these barriers that we put up in our in our life you know we've got our spiritual compartment we've got our we've got our career we've got our, our money we've got our relationships we've got our social life uh, we've got our money we've got our faith we've got our marriage we've got our children we have got all these compartments in our life and 
And we say, Jesus, here's what I can give you, but those other areas, how is this connected? And Jesus says, it's all connected. It's all connected. If we come to Jesus because we want him in our life, we want forgiveness of sins, we desire him uh, to, to inform our life and to, to be a presence in our life, we need to let him talk about our life. We need to let him shape our attitudes and our habits related to everything in our life. And today we talk about money. We need to let him get in and talk about our habits and our feelings and our behaviors and our, our, uh, our uh, worldview and our spending habits. We need to because it's all connected. God does not call us into a life that is just balanced. But he says to lay down our life for him without distraction, without hesitation. To be really Christian, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus does not mean that we are just a well-functioning and balanced person where all the areas in our life are just in harmony. Jesus calls us to lay down our life, to pick up our cross, to follow him without any hesitation, without any distinction. If you want to follow me, Jesus would say, you must live a life of, of abundant generosity that is attractive to anyone who might stumble upon you. Are you, are you considered a generous person? Are you considered a, a generous person with your wealth? If someone were to stumble upon your checkbook, your, your, your bank account, your debit card, your spending habits, if, if you were to accidentally leave your computer open to your bank account and they were to see what you do with your money, would they say, wow, what a generous person. I had no idea. So the point is this, as he says, whoever sows, and he even says that, he says, this is the point. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. We have, as, as followers of Jesus, a responsibility to be generous with our wealth and so to demonstrate the genuous, genuineness of our faith. And it's here that we see that we're being invited in such a, a beautiful, unparalleled privilege. It isn't just this thermometer of our, of our spiritual health where God wants to really look into our life and, and to really uncover our lives and say, how are you really doing? But he invites us. He doesn't just critique. He invites us into an unparalleled privilege. The picture here that is described is one of a of, of an owner of a field and a steward of that field, a manager of the field. And so you have an owner of a property, and the owner is God who supplies the seed to the sower, to the, to the steward or the manager of the field. And he says here, he, he gives us the seed, and, and we then go and sow it. And if we don't sow it, it is much more than just a laziness or ungenerosity. It is dishonesty, and it is even theft. If your manager, if your owner of your company gave you resources and said, now go and, and utilize these resources for the better of the company, and you just sat on it, or you consumed it yourself, he wouldn't say, hey, I just really want you to be generous. He would say, you're robbing. You're robbing me. And that is what God says. So it is not just stinginess when it comes to money. It is theft. And so God says, he says, share it. He says, sow it. Invest this. <coughs> Invest this for the benefit of my kingdom and the gospel flourishing and your joy and the benefit of others. I want to talk to you about this. He says share it, right? He talks about sharing. I want to talk to you about sharing. What if you and I actually believed and practiced the things that we taught our children about sharing? Or think about your parents if you don't have kids and, and maybe, maybe what they taught you about sharing. You could probably remember some lessons that they told you about sharing. 
You say, now son or, or daughter, we have friends coming over tonight for dinner and they're going to be playing in your room and I want you to share your toys. And your child would say, what? But these are my toys and, and I don't want to share them. And you say, well, that's, that's true. They are your toys. But do you, do you know that, you know why we have nice things? Do you know why God has given us all these nice things? He's given us these things so that we can share it with others. But I don't want to, they say. You say, well, you have to. And they say, well, these are my toys. And then you pull out the parent card, right? You say, well, if you really want to get technical, these are my toys. I bought them. And so I'm sharing with them, right? <laughs> you've said it. I know you've said it. And that's the parent card. And God pulls out the God card. But these are mine. I've worked hard for this. And God says, well, if you really want to get technical, then let's get technical. It's all mine. It's not yours. Consider your money, we might say. I, I worked hard for my money. I earned this. I put in the time. And God would say, yes, you did. You did earn this. You, you did put in the time. But you earned it how? You earned it with the skills that I have given to you by my grace. You earned it with the air in your lungs that it was given to you by my grace. You've earned it with the privilege of being born into a family and into a country and into a context that was given to you by my grace because you've worked hard, but being born on on in any other place and in a foreign country, a third world country, you could work just as hard and you would not have what you have. So yes, you, you have worked hard, you have utilized your skills, you've put in the hours, but you have only utilized what I've given to you by my grace. And so God would say, it's mine. Nothing that you have, nothing that you and I have is being earned completely because of what we've done. It's all God's. And you see, Jesus in the Bible, and this is something so important for us to realize, he never rebukes wealth. I've heard this message before, and I've heard, in my opinion, pastors critique wealth in a negative way by saying that, it's, that, that being wealthy and being rich and having a lot of money is, is bad. We never see this in Scripture. Likewise, we never see it being poor in the same way, or that you have to have money, that being poor is a bad thing. But rather, he never rebukes wealth or lack of wealth, but rather Jesus directs it. He tells us how to use our wealth or even our lack of wealth. He shows us how to honor God with whatever we have and to be content in all things. The purpose for your blessing and for everything that you have, but specifically for financial blessing in this passage, is not solely for your personal consumption, but for the benefit of others. Verse 11, you have been enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. You have been blessed so that you can be blessed. Have this perspective, have this mind among yourselves as you think about your money, that everything you have and the, the increase of everything you have is for blessing of others. How many of you have ever prayed, Lord, help me get this promotion so that I will have more money to bless others? Help me get this job. Lord, increase my, my value, my net worth, Increase my paycheck. Give me that raise so that I can give more away. And this is the reason why God has given us everything that we have. But it's not just the act of sharing that's important, isn't it? Because we learned that a couple weeks ago and we learned that here as well. It's just not the act. He's not just saying, so give and just, be, just do what I say. It is, we ought to give, it's a certain kind of sharing. It's the kind of sharing that is, that is cheerful even though it's painful. So come back to your ch children in the, in the bedroom and, 
<clears throat> and you say, now pick a toy. Okay, fine. Here's what I want you to do. Pick a toy so that when your friends come over, pick a toy that they will be able to play with. Pick a toy. You get to choose. Fine. Choose what you will share, but you have to share. And you give them a couple minutes, you come back, they, they come out of the room and having sorted through their enormous pile of toys that they have and they bring out a, a Buzz Lightyear with a broken arm and a laser that doesn't work. I don't know, someone, I heard about that somewhere. <clears throat> and you as a parent, of course, you see right through this, right? Here, mom, dad, I'm being generous. They can play with this. You see right through it. Because it's not just the act of sharing that's important to you, is it? It's, it's the, the content of that sharing. It's, not, it's the quality of that sharing. You want them to be cheerful and generous. You want, in a way, you want it to hurt them a little bit. You want them to give their best. Here, here's my prized toy. I want to share it with my friends. But instead, they always bring out the broken one. My son one time even broke out a, uh, one of those rigid hair combs <laughs> at the bottom of his toy chest. Here, they can play with this. Awesome. They're going to they're gonna love that. What are you looking for with your kids when you ask them to share? Sacrifice that comes from a heart of love and cheerfulness to others. Does that sum it up? That's what God wants from you. Imagine your child looking at his room, looking at his just, his, his just collection of toys and says, you know what, mother? Look at all that I have. I have so much. What a blessing. I have so much, and I'm so grateful. How much does one child really need? These are real conversations you've had. <laughs> I'll tell you what, mother, when my friends come over, tell them, send them in and tell them they can have whatever they want. Because my toys are for their benefit. And after you pick yourself off the floor, here's what you will say. You will say, <laughs> now that's what I'm talking about. That's my boy. Way to go. I raised you good. I'm so excited. Thank you. Good job. And God says, I love a cheerful giver. God says, that is what I love, now that's what I'm talking about. When it says that God loves a cheerful giver, he is not saying that God's love is conditioned on your cheerful giving. Okay? It is not saying, if you give, I will love you. Because that is inconsistent with the gospel, it's inconsistent with the whole story of the Bible, and it's inconsistent even with the context of this passage. It is saying, because of the gospel has changed you, give cheerfully, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's that parent walking into the room and the child saying, I have so much, take whatever you need, and God's saying, I love that about you. But too often we see our giving as, as, a, as a God tax. Have you heard that before? It's a good term. It's a God text, which is it's giving, not in terms of cheerfulness and generosity and privilege, but an obligation because it's something we have to do. Well, this is just a Christian duty. You have to do it. And many of us would give. If we do give, we give out of that obligation. Just, just give. It's a God tax. We do it because we have to, and this is the wrong way to look about, look about giving. It's the wrong way to think about it. It's the wrong way to give. And in no sense, in, in, in the Bible, as we look about it, no, in no sense is the giving of our wealth a matter of rigidly imposed condition upon the Christian community. In no sense do we see this rigid imposed condition on the community that you have to give. We don't see this God tax. We see this financial generosity was not a way to get into the Christian community, but it was something that definitely marked the Christian community as separate from the rest of the world. It was always voluntary. 
Giving was always voluntary. And I'll say something that's not in my best interest and as someone who earns their living based on your generosity as, or an overseer of our financial stability as a church. Your giving to the church is up to you. Your giving is voluntary. There is such a thing as redistribution of the wealth. There is. In the Bible, we see this all over. A if you have, then give to those who do not. If you have, if God's blessed you with abundance, then give out of your abundance. If God is, whatever you have, be content with what you have and give proportionally to what you have so that others will be blessed. But never do we see this concept of redistribution of the wealth as something that is forced or an obligation on God's people or any other people. And so we should not be afraid by this idea of redistribution of the wealth. It's a biblical idea. But never should anyone say, you have to be charitable. You have to redistribute your wealth. You have to give to others by an imposed law or by a, a policy in the church. Our, our accountant is having heart palpitations right now. I, mean, I can feel it. It's up to you. But, but think about this. The way that you give, the way that you are generous with your wealth will reveal how you look at God and what you believe about God. You see, if you're, if you're a moralist, if you, if you are just striving to be a better person and a well-rounded person, then you believe that it's your good works that will earn God's welcome and acceptance in your life. And so you'll look at your money and say, but I earned this. I worked hard for this, and so I am going to do with it what I want to do with it. And then if I do give, it'll be because I want to make God proud, and I want to do something for Him so that He can do something for me. But if you truly embrace the gospel, you know that, you are, you know that you're in love with someone when you are willing to give them everything. You know that you really love someone and that is an overflow of your love for someone when, you, when nothing is held too tightly in your hand. And so, even though giving is voluntary, it reveals what we believe about God. And that's why the gospel shapes our giving. We believe that everything that we have is from God and for God and we give cheerfully and freely without obligation. We give abundantly. We give until it hurts. We give sacrificially. A Christian is a, a person who feels absolutely rich because of the generosity of God to us in Jesus Christ and turns around then and is absolutely, recklessly generous to others with everything that we had. Because God's grip on us is due to His grace, it allows us to loosen up our hands on everything else. See, we don't have to worship our money. We don't have to hold tightly to our possessions, to our wealth, because God holds tightly to us that it's, it really is like, if we lose everything in this world but have Jesus, we have everything. We have everything. What is, the, what is the blessing that comes from this? Because it says that he blesses us to be a blessing. Sometimes it's more money. It is. Sometimes, uh, as we are faithful with our wealth, God will bless us with, our, with more wealth. And he even says that in the Bible, that he, those who give generously, more will be given to them so that they can then keep just turning around and be generous to others. And we see that. I've seen that personally in, in, in people's lives that I know that, who are just wealthy and rich beyond, beyond measure and they are so abundantly wealthy and God just keeps giving them more and they keep giving more away and keep giving more away. And it's almost like you're rooting for people to keep being successful and being blessed in the business world because you know how generous they're going to be. And I see this true. But this isn't always the blessing that comes. It isn't this formula that 
that um, if, you, if you give this much, then God will give back tenfold financially. But here is, here is the first blessing that will come to you. Here's the blessing that will come to you. And I think this is part, one of the big blessings that's talked about in this passage. The first blessing that will come to you when you are faithful to be generous with your wealth is this, is the peace that comes from knowing that you're being faithful to God with what he's asked you to do. This is a blessing that should not be underestimated. The blessing of knowing that you are being faithful to what God has asked of you. It's a continual Christmas. That clear conscience is just a, it's a soft pillow that you put your head on every night, knowing that you are following Jesus as he's asked you to in this area of your life. And so, so we invest. So we, we steward. But, but what? How do we do this? And, and how do we share our wealth? Here, here's where I think it's, it's most beautiful to give in our final point. Our most beautiful way of investing is that we see that giving or generosity of our wealth is an instrument for an eternal harvest. Our money will fade away. Our, uh, and all the things that we acquire and all the things that we accumulate over time will decay. It's true. But the fruit of our generosity will last forever. Three times in this passage, we see this phrase in some form of thanks be to God, thanks be to God, thanks be to God. And it's not just a, a catchphrase for Christians. It's not something that we just say, thanks be to God. It's, it's when you give generously, God is intervening in your gift in a supernatural, in a spiritual sense. God is, is intervening in your gift to bring about eternal blessing in our world and in people's lives. When we give, and we give faithfully, we give by faith and cheerfully, God, a miracle happens. He actually intervenes in that giving, and he, and he makes it bear fruit. It's an act of God's intervention and nothing less. God desires to bring about his plan of redemption for all creation, the redemption of sinners through the instrument of your financial generosity. It's true. This is such an amazing thing as we see in Scripture that how is God going to bring about the redemption of sinners and the forgiveness of, of sinners and, and, and life change in people's hearts? Well, have you ever thought through your financial generosity? That's what it says here. And knowing this, knowing this, how could you be stingy with your money? Knowing that when you give by faith, God is intervening in that gift and he is just, and he's making it do something supernatural and eternal. That the fruit of this giving will last forever. How, knowing that, how could you ever be stingy with your money? And when you do give, how could you give reluctantly or uh, begrudgingly? Or how could you give under compulsion and say, fine, I'll do it because I have to. You'll do it because you have to. God is like taking this money and he's changing lives. The Christian has a, has a totally different way of looking at their money because they know it's all from God and all for God. And so, so we invest, so we give, so we share, and we invest in things that last forever. Think about it. Think about how you will use your money today and tomorrow and forever in, in things that will last forever. Uh, what are the things that last forever? Well, the Bible tells us that there's really only, there's only a couple things that last forever. The gospel the Word of God, the Gospel, and people. There's really only two things, of course, aside from the eternal God, but people and the Gospel are the only things in this, in this world that last forever. Let's talk about people. People, first, put your money into people generally. How will you invest? Put your money into people. 
So Paul says, he says, there's, my, these people are coming. Invest in them. Invest in their lives. Invest in, be generous to them, these living beings who will last forever. Invest in them. Invest generally in, in people who have specific need or particular uh, financial burdens or who are broken or hurting or, or the poor. Invest in the people. One year someone bought me a gift. It was a Christmas gift. And it was a gift. I opened it up and it was basically a picture. And it was a picture of a man sitting in a wheelchair. And the gift was a, a wheelchair that went to this man who, was, uh, who had a disability that was bought in my name. And I look at this picture and it's a man. I see his face and he has a new wheelchair now. And I look at this and I say, what am I going to do with this? It was before I was a Christian. You know, actually it was like two years ago. I just... <laughs> I was in full-time ministry. I just, I just wanted to feel better about myself for feeling that way. And this is so easy. We see, well, what am I going to do with this? We get our paycheck and we say, well, how am I going to consume this? How am I going to use this for me? What am I going to do with this? And it's the wrong question to ask. The question is to be, God, how will you use this? How will you use this for people to change lives? We should see that every time we are given something, we'll say, thank you, God. Thanks be to God. I can't imagine what you're going to do with this now when I am faithful to be generous. God says, I'm going to change people forever. I'm going to welcome people and accept people uh, as, and, and use your giving as an instrument of, of my plan of redemption for sinners. Wow, that's a great investment. Well, let's talk about the gospel. Put your money into people generally, but second, put your money into ministry that connects eternal people with the eternal word of God that gives life. There is nothing better. There's absolutely nothing better to put your money into. When we give of our financial gifts, it reaches as far as the gospel reaches which is beyond our comprehension. On our Connect card, we have a question that says, you know, what brought you here for, for new people? It says, what brought you to our church? How, how did you hear about us? And sometimes people will say, a friend or a family, I saw your website. Sometimes people will be cute and say, my car, it happens more than you think. Uh, <clears throat> and some of you are scratching it out right now, <laughs> friend. No one ever says, what brought me here? the financial gifts of others. But they'd be right to say so. What brought you here? You're here today because of the financial generosity of someone yesterday, and a year ago, and three years ago, and five years ago. You're here today, hearing the gospel, the word of life, the salvation, forgiveness of sinners by the grace of God because of Jesus died for you. You're here hearing about that because people have been financially generous who will be here tomorrow because of your financial generosity today? Have you ever thought like that? Who will know Jesus? The relationship most transformational, more important, more wonderful, more beautiful than any relationship that, that man has ever known. Who will know the God of love because of my generosity today? That should keep you awake at night with joy and excitement and thinking about what God will do, how he will intervene with your imperfect gift, no matter how much it is, or how little it is. What eternal soul will hear the eternal good news of salvation in Jesus because of your generosity today? I hope that you see your money with that big of a scope. If you find yourself not giving anywhere near the biblical ex expectation of financial generosity, you're not only being stingy, you're, being, you're robbing God of what belongs to Him, and you're missing out of the joy of being a part of an eternal harvest of God's people. You're missing out on a privilege that, that is unparalleled. You're missing out of investing in, in eternal significance. The vast amount of teaching on money that Jesus gives and that the Bible gives is, 
on this subject shows us that, that the giving of our wealth was a normal part, a normal activity of the disciples of Jesus that all of them should practice in proportion to what they have. It's not only for the wealthy. It's not only for those who have a little to spare. It's for all of God's people. It's a practice so normal for God's people. It's the only topic in Scripture to which God invites His people to test Him. It's the only topic in which God says, put me to the test. You don't believe me? Then do it. Be generous with your money and see what happens. See what I do with it. It's the only place in Scripture where He says, test me. Be generous. Be faithful with your money. Unleash it. Unhold your grip on your money as your security and see what I will do. I will do things that will just, that will blow your mind. Give like I give and see what happens. That's what God says. One of the things as we close, one of the things as we come to an end of the year is that we have a lot of special opportunities. Thanksgiving, Christmas, vacations perhaps, hopefully there's a time where you uh, are able to enjoy the fruit of your labor and you are able to enjoy the fruit of that with your family, with your friends. You're able to be generous with gifts and things like that. All the good things that God has given you freedom, you and I freedom to enjoy for our joy and for our, for our comfort. God gives that to us as a blessing to his children. A healthy, growing church requires a great deal of money. In October, we held a congregational meeting when we... When we, when we and uh, elected our, our deacons. We had a meeting with all of our, our members of our church and gave them a brief overview of all that God has done over the last year. We talked about all that he has done. We talked about how 70% of our congregation is involved in weekly life groups, which is amazing. 70% of our church is involved in this, is in a habitual studying of God's word and in a relationship with others and sharing meals together. We've ordained two new elders and three new deacons this year. We've increased, a, we, we've, we've entered into, invested in our legacy vision, which includes Drew as coming on as a full-time uh, partner in ministry, and an increase in our giving to missions and outreach. We also talked about our financial needs. And we were very blunt with our members in October, and we said, on this pace, we are, we're at risk of, of being $80,000 below our budget needs. Now, thank God we're actually not that far. We're not on, on pace to be there. We're actually currently, year-to-date, about $57,000 uh, uh, below our budget needs. And we're evaluating next year, currently, your leaders and your those who have oversight of the church, the spiritual oversight and financial oversight of the church, we're, we're talking about next year, how we will do ministry and how we will invest and what God has in store for us in light of, of our budget, how to make the right changes. And of course, this again, maybe another motive is not to scare you. This is, my motive is not to scare you. But in order to exercise healthy responsibility, we need to make big changes in light of our needs and our budget and, and the generosity of our church. We might be losing our building. We like, might be losing ministries. We might be losing donuts. Your kids, for the sake of your children. You know it. That's the only reason they're here. Your kids will freak out. I'm not, I'm not buying a jet. This is not, I, I, don't, I don't like to fly. I'm more of a yacht guy. So I'm not, this is not a, this is about, like, frankly, this is about just the, the, the financial cost of doing good gospel ministry that is better than ever at Holy Cross. It's better than ever. The gospel ministry and the health of Holy Cross as it relates to the gospel ministry 
of relationships and people being exposed to the truth and changing lives and, and people, uh, it being, the gospel being a fountain of change for people, it has never been more joyful, in my opinion. I love Holy Cross Church. And, I'm, and that's like easy for me to say, I want, I, I want more people to be here. Not for my ego and, and not, for, not for even your joy. I want it because I believe that Holy Cross is a good church. And I think you believe that too. Holy Cross is awesome. I'm excited for Holy Cross. I'm excited for what Holy Cross is doing, and I'm excited for what we will keep doing for years to come. Excited for setting big goals. I'm excited for sending out big asks and saying, give. Give for eternal value. Give generously. Give until it hurts. And so what can we do in closing, for a third closing? I think it's my third or fourth. Evaluate, evaluate your financial needs in light of Scripture and repent of an idolatry of wherever you see it. Now let me explain that. Let me ask you this question. What is in the way of you being uniquely, abundantly, financially generous in your life? Think about it. Whatever is on the other end of that question, whatever you fill in that blank with, that thing is your idol. It is that thing that is keeping you from being faithful to God. It is that thing that you care more about than being faithful to God. It is that thing that you've placed in your life and said, but this is supreme. This is more important. This is the currency that I care more about than being generous with my wealth. I can't be generous because I spend it too much on, on food or clothes or my car or my house or my hair. I don't know what your thing is. But that has become a, an idol in the way of you being faithful to God. I can't be generous because I don't have enough money. The Bible tells us that we are not all generous in the same way. We are generous in proportion to what God has given to us. We are content with what we have, but God always gets our best, no matter what we make. Sometimes that person who gives $30 out of their poverty is being more generous than the person who gives $5,000 out of their wealth. So determine that. Evaluate your financial giving, your current giving. Because the Bible says, like, determine in your own heart. He says, determine what you'll give. Have a plan for that giving. That's the second thing. Determine in your heart what you'll give. There's a good chance that, that you were, when you were renting or buying a house, you sat down with your roommate or your, your spouse and you said, what's our number? What's our number? What's our budget? What can we do? The Bible actually says, uh, that's what we need to do with our tithe, with our giving. What will you do? What's your number? Give regularly, faithfully, generously. If you only give... Here's what I've found to be true. If you only give what is, if you're only generous with what you have left over, you'll never be generous, ever. You'll never be biblically generous if you wait to see what abundance has God provided us with. If God really wants me to be generous, he'll let me have some left over. You're going to eat it. You're going to use it. You're going to eat it or wear it or drive it or lose it. <laughs> if you only give to special things as they come up, you'll never give generously. What is your number? It's a good, practical, biblical thing to do. What is our number this year? What is our number for next year? What's our number every month that we are going to set aside? And then we, 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 we create our budget around that giving. Another thing could be just get a financial helper. I mean, we have a couple of very passionate professionals, godly men in our church that do this for a living, that help out with people with financial help and planning. Talk to me, and, and I'll, I'll let you know who they are so that you can reach out. Seek them out. Ask for the context. I'll give you, take a financial planning course we plan to do uh, uh, next year, early, early in the winter, to pay down debt, to live generously, to get your financial house in order. 
How much should we give? That's a good question. Well, how much? How much should I give? Well, you know, I got the microphone, so I'll just say it. Give until it hurts. Give until it's painful. You know, any of us can give 1% to 2% without changing our life at all. Give until it disrupts your life. That's the point. Give until it's a sacrifice, until it releases your hold on money and says, God, this is painful for me to do this. Help me to have faith. Anyone can give a broken Buzz Lightyear and never worry about it. To give to biblical proportions will change your life, and that's the point. It'll change your life, and that's the point. It will protect your heart from a snare of materialism. It'll protect your heart from a snare of seeing the church like a consumer, but rather seeing it like a family of God where we share with one another. It will please your Father who loves a cheerful giver. The misconception that it's not possible to be sacrificial and, and happy at the same time, and Jesus changes that myth. Jesus changes this. He gives cheerfully of himself in Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endures the cross. He gives not reluctantly. He says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not as I will, but as you will. God, you're in charge. Look, I don't want to hold anything back. Take away everything that's hindering me and let me just follow you. He gives, not under compulsion, he says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I give, no one makes me give. And so he says, now give like that. You can be sacrificial and joyful. You can be sacrificial and happy. You can give cheerfully. You know you're in love when you give everything to that person. My motive is not shame. My motive is not embarrassment. It's not calling you out. My aim is faithfulness. It's gospel response. It's a response to God's love for us so that we can live to be like Christ as he is forming us and transforming us in his image more and more every day. And when these things sink in, 10% actually feels too small sometimes. Sometimes we will be moved to be even more recklessly generous than that. Where are you? Wherever you are, move. Move in the right direction, wherever you are. Don't, don't, don't sell the farm and ruin your life and your family's life, but move in that direction of ruining your family's life. No, move in the direction <laughs> of faithfulness. Move in that direction of saying, God, how do I... I, can't, I don't, can't feel like I get there right now, but how do I move towards you in that direction? What would you have me do today? I want to I be faithful until it hurts. That's what the gospel does to us. The gospel changes us. It, it moves us. It moves us out of our selfishness and into our joy, knowing that our generosity changes the world, glorifies God, and it gives us joy. I'm excited to be generous. I'm excited to be a generous church. I'm excited to change my life because of our generosity and look forward to all that God does with it. Let's pray.